0: Good evening, good evening. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 267, and I thought we would take a break from talking about radioactive and nuclear waste and talk about a different type of labor and talk about someone that really did a lot to impact our society in a very awesome way. So I want to talk about Mel Blanc. That's B-L-A-N-C. And he was a voiceover actor. Uh, his career spanned several decades. And I just thought it would be really neat to talk about someone that was born around the turn of the century. He overcame a lot of obstacles in his life. And if anything, you might not know his name, but you might if you watch Looney Tunes. So as a little kid, I was always reading the credits because I was like, hey, these people are the ones doing the voices and drawing all these cartoons. Well, he's the voice of Bugs Bunny. And I would say, was it Yosemite Sam, Foghorn Leghorn, and so many other characters. Very talented man. Very talented. So it's one of those things that, you know, let's say, for example, you have a talent that no one really honors or respects. That doesn't mean that that your talent is not worth honoring and respecting. And I say that because Mel Blank, he actually had to fight the studio in order to get recognition for his work. So they just want him to do the voices for all these characters. And it's like hours and hours and hours of doing all this work. And yet, yeah, they're paying him. But one way that studios and employers can try and successfully get out of uh, basically get out of paying Uh, their employees, is to not give them credit for their work. So Mel Blank was one of the first ones to demand and successfully accomplish this. He said, hey, if you're going to use my voice in anything, you have to put my name up there with every cartoon, every work I help out with. Because his point was, I'm no different than a producer or a director or an animator. Because without me, It would be a silent film. You wouldn't have any of the voices. And I bring this up because, you know, there are a couple strikes, at least that I know of, in California with the Writers Guild and then um, SAG-AFTRA. And, again, they have a point because they're not getting credit for their work. And that is a big problem. And so when someone doesn't give you credit or they don't list your name, then they can get out of paying you. And so then you're not being paid your wages. That's a huge problem. Big problem. So let's take a look at this because he's a very interesting guy. So Melvin Jerome Blank, he was born May 30th, 1908, passed away July 10th, uh, 1989, so he lived to be 81 years old, a long, rich, good life, was an American voice actor and radio personality whose career spanned over 60 years. During the Golden Age of Radio, he provided character voices and vocal sound effects for comedy radio programs, including those of Jack Benny, Abbott and Costello, Burns and Allen, the great, I think it's pronounced Gildersleeve, Judy, I think it's Canova, and his own short-lived sitcom. However, he became known worldwide for his work in the Golden Age of American Animation as the voices of Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Elmer Fudd, Tweety, Sylvester, Yosemite Sam, Foghorn Leghorn, the Tasmanian Devil, and numerous other characters from the Looney Tunes and Mary Melodies theatrical cartoons. He later voiced characters for Hanna Barbera's I think that's how you pronounce it Hanna Barbera's television cartoons, including Barney Rubble and Dino on the Flintstones. Mr. Spacely on the Jetsons, Secret Squirrel on the Atom Atom Ant Secret Squirrel Show, the title character of Speed Buggy, and Captain Caveman on on Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels and the Flintstone Kids. Referred to as the man of a thousand voices, he is regarded as one of the most influential people in the voice acting industry, And as one of the greatest voice actors of all time. And that is extremely true. So a little bit about his background. Or a little bit about his early life. Blank was born on May 30th, 1908 in San Francisco, California. To Eva, a Lithuanian Jewish immigrant. And Frederick Blank, uh, the younger of two children. He grew up in San Francisco's Western Edition neighborhood. And later in Portland, Oregon. Where he attended Lincoln High School. He had an early fondness for voices and dialect, which he began practicing at the age of 10. He claimed that he changed the spelling of his name when he was 16 from blank, B L A N K, to B L A N C, <coughs> excuse me, because a teacher told him that he would amount to nothing and be like his name, a blank. He joined the order of de Demolay, I think that's how you pronounce it. As a young man, it was eventually inducted into its hall of fame. After graduating from high school in 1927, he divided his time between leading an orchestra, becoming the youngest conductor in the country at the age of uh, at the age of 19, and performing shtick and vaudeville shows around Washington, Oregon, and Southern California. Now, talking about his career in terms of radio work, <coughs> excuse me. Blank began his radio career at the age of 19 in 1927 when he made his acting debut on the KGW program, the, Ho- the Hoot Owls, where his ability to provide voices for multiple characters first attracted attention. He moved to Los Angeles in 1932 where he met Estelle, I think it's Rosenbaum or Rosenbaum, whom he married a year later before returning to Portland. He moved to KEX in 1933 To produce and co-host his Cobweb and Nuts show with his wife, Estelle, which debuted on June 15th, the program played Monday through Saturday from 11 p.m. to midnight, and by the time the show ended two years later, it appeared uh, from 10.30 p.m. to 11 p.m. With his wife's encouragement, Blank returned to Los Angeles and joined uh, Warner Brothers, owned by KFWB in Hollywood in 1935. He joined the Johnny Murray Show, but the following year switched to CBS Radio and the Joe Penner Show. Blank was a regular on the NBC Red Network show, the Jack Benny Program, and various roles, including voicing Benny's Maxwell automobile, uh, violin teacher Professor LeBlanc, Polly the Parrot, Benny's pet polar bear Carmichael, and the train announcer. The first role came from mishap when recording of the automobile sounds failed to play on cue, prompting Blank to take the microphone and improvise the sounds himself. The audience reacted so positively that Benny decided to dispense with the recording altogether and have Blank continue in that role. One of Blank's characters from Benny's radio and later TV programs was C, the little, the little Mexican who spoke one word at a time. He continued to work with Benny on radio until the series ended in 1955 and followed the program into television from Benny's 1950 debut episode through guest spots on NBC specials in the 1970s. Radio Daily Magazine wrote in 1942 that Blank specialized in over 57 voices, dialects, and intricate sound effects, and by 1946, He was appearing on over 15 programs in various supporting roles. His success on the Jack Benny program led to his own radio show on the CBS radio network entitled The Mel Blank Show, which ran from September 3, 1946 to June 24, 1947. Blank played himself as the hapless owner of a fix-it shop, as well as his young cousin, Zuki, Blank also appeared on such other national radio programs as The Abbott and Costello Show, The Happy Postman on Burns and Allen, and as August Moon on Point Sublime. During World War II, he appeared as Private Sad Sack on various radio shows, including G.I. Journal. Blank recorded a song titled Big Bear Lake. So he had a lot of different talents here, very much so. Let me get a drink of water. Hold on just a moment. Now, a little bit about his animation voice work. It says, in December 1936, Mel Blank joined uh, Leon, I think it's pronounced, Schlesinger Productions, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which was producing theatrical cartoon shorts for Warner Brothers. After sound man Treg Brown was put in charge of cartoon voices and Carl Stalling became music director, Brown introduced Blank to animation directors Tex Avery, Bob Clampett, Fritz Freeling, and Frank Tashlin, who loved his voices. The first cartoon Blank worked on was, I think it's Picador Porky from 1937, as the voice of a drunken bull. He soon after received his first starring role when he replaced Joe, I think it's Dowtree, if that's how you pronounce the man's name, as Porky Pig's voice in Porky's Duck Hunt, which marked the debut of Daffy Duck, also voiced by Mel Blank. Following this, uh, Mel Blank became a very prominent vocal artist for Warner Brothers, voicing a wide variety of Looney Tunes characters. Bugs Bunny, as whom Mel Blank made his debut in A Wild Hare, that came out in 1940, was known for eating carrots frequently, especially while saying his catchphrase, A, what's up, Doc? To follow this sound with the animated voice, Blank would bite into a carrot and then quickly spit into a spittoon. (laughs) That's cute. Um, One often repeated story is that Mel Blanc was allergic to carrots, which Blanc obviously denies, because how can you eat carrots if you're allergic to them? In Disney's uh, Pinocchio, Mel Blanc was hired to perform the voice of Gideon the Cat. However, it was eventually decided to have Gideon uh, be a mute character similar to Dopey from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, so all of Mel Blanc's recorded dialogue was deleted except for a solitary hiccup, which was heard three times in the finished film. Mel Blanc also originated the voice and laugh of Woody the Woodpecker for the theatrical cartoons produced by Walter Lance for Universal Pictures, but stopped voicing Woody the Woodpecker after the character's first three shorts when he was signed to an exclusive contract with Warner Brothers. Despite this, his laugh was still used in the Woody the Woodpecker cartoons until 1951, when Grace Stafford recorded a softer version while his Guess Who signature line was used in the opening titles until the end of the series and closure of Walter Lance Productions in 1972. During World War II, Mel Blanc served as the voice of the hapless private snafu in a series of shorts produced by Warner Brothers as a way of training recruited soldiers through the medium of animation. Throughout his career, Mel Blank, aware of his talents, protected the rights to his voice characterizations contractually and legally. He and later his estate never hesitated to take civil action when those rights were violated. I don't blame them. Voice actors at that time rarely received screen credits, but Blank was an exception. By 1944, his contract with Warner Brothers stipulated a credit reading Voice, character, voice Characterizations by Mel Blank. According to his um, autobiography, Mel Blank asked for and received this screen credit from studio boss uh, Leon, however pronounced pronounce his last name, after he was denied a salary raise. Not surprising. So again, if someone doesn't give you credit for your work, that's when they try and cheat you out of your money. So nothing else is new, right? Especially in Hollywood and in Los Angeles. Initially, Mel Blank's screen credit was limited only to cartoons in which he voiced Bugs Bunny. This changed in March 1945, when the contract was amended to also include a screen credit for cartoons featuring Porky Pig and Daffy Duck. This, however, excluded any shorts with the two characters made before the amendment occurred, even if they were released after the fact. By the end of 1946, Mel Blanc began receiving a screen credit in any subsequent Warner Brothers uh, cartoon for which he voiced uh, or provide his voice for those characters. I don't blame him for that. He's very smart for doing that because your work is your work. Like, you should be paid for your work. What's interesting is that sometimes studios, they think that directors and producers should be paid, but the actors and the people that do the voiceover should not be paid, which is stupid. I mean, that would be like... If Seth MacFarlane did not make any money for his voices on Family Guy and American Dad. Like seriously, that just would not fly. I don't personally know Seth McFarland, but considering how successful and talented he is, I guarantee you he expects to get credit for his work, and he should get credit. That's just how it is. Because if you don't give someone credit for their work, then you are stealing their work. And stealing is a form of thievery. So just FYI, be aware of that. Now, it talks a little bit about his voiceover work with Hanna-Barbera, and that occurred in the 1960s. So it says, in 1960, after the expiration of his exclusive contract with Warner Brothers, Mel Blanc continued working for them, but also began providing voices for the TV cartoons produced by Hanna-Barbera. His roles during this time included uh, uh, Barney Rubble of the Flintstones and Cosmo, I think it's Spacely of the Jetsons, his other voice roles for Hanna-Barbera included Dino the Dinosaur, Secret Squirrel, Speedy or Speed Buggy, and Captain Caveman, as well as voices for Wally Gator and The Perils of Penelope or Penelope Pitstop. Mel Blank also worked with former Looney Tunes director Chuck Jones, who by this time was directing shorts with his own company, which was called Sib Tower Twelve. Uh, later to be called MGM Animation and Visual Arts, uh, doing vocal effects for the Tom and Jerry series from 1963 to 1967. I personally never liked Tom and Jerry. It just it always made me cringe. I just didn't like it. I preferred I preferred Foghorn Leghorn, Sylvester and Tweety. I couldn't stand the Roadrunner. Hated it. I always wanted that Road Runner to die. I was like seriously, just catch him already. Because I didn't think it was funny. It was just more frustrating. And then um, the sheepdog, which I don't think he ever spoke except for a couple of times. He was funny, like this big fat sheepdog that was trying to catch the coyote. I thought that was funny. Um but anyway, Mel Blanc was the first voice of Toucan Sam in Fruit Loops commercials. I learned that about him. Mel Blanc rep- uh, reprised some of his Warner Brothers characters when the studio contracted him to make new uh, theatrical cartoons in the mid to late 1960s. Uh, for these, Mel Blanc voiced Daffy Duck and Speedy Gonzales, the characters who received the most frequent use in these shorts. Let's see here. Mel Blanc also continued to voice the Looney Tunes for bridging sequences of the Bugs Bunny show, as well as in numerous animated advertisements and several compilation features, such as the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie, which came out in 1979. He also voiced Granny on Peter Pan Records in uh, Four More Adventures of Bugs Bunny, which came out in 1974. Then you have Holly Days, which came out in 1974. And then, let's see here, let's see. The next part of this article talks about his car accident and the aftermath. So I didn't know that he was in a car wreck, but it's very interesting. It says, on January 24th, 1961, Mel Blank was driving alone when his sports car was involved in a head-on collision on Sunset Boulevard, His legs and his pelvis were fractured as a result. He was in a coma and completely non-responsive. About two weeks later, one of Mel Blanc's neurologists at UCLA Medical Center tried a different approach than just trying to address the unconscious Mel Blanc himself, um, instead address his characters. Uh, Mel Blanc was asked, How are you feeling today, Bugs Bunny? After a slight pause, Mel Blanc answered in a weak voice, and just fine, Doc, how are you? So basically, like Bugs Bunny, obviously don't have that voice, but he does. The doctor then asked Tweety if he was there, too. And um, Mel Blanc replied, I taught I taught a putty cat. <laughs> so here's the thing. Just because someone's in a coma, that doesn't mean they're not there. So you just have to find a way to... Trigger something in their brain to recall a memory, so that you can help to reestablish the neurons and the cells within the brain, and help it to recover. So it said, Mel Blank returned. Uh, he returned home on March seventeenth. Four days later, Mel Blank filed a U.S. Uh, let's see, five hundred thousand dollar lawsuit against the city of Los Angeles. His accident, one of twenty six in the preceding two years, at the intersection known as Dead Man's Curve resulted in the city funding the restructuring of curves at that location. Years later, Mel Blank revealed that during his recovery, his son Noel ghosted several Warner Brothers cartoons' uh, voice tracks for him. Warner Brothers had also asked Stan Freeberg to provide the voice for Bugs Bunny, but Freeberg declined out of respect to Mel Blank. That's very kind of him. At the time of the accident, Mel Blank was also serving as the voice of Barney Rubble and the Flintstones. His his absence from the show was relatively brief. It says Dawes Butler provided the voice for Barney for a few episodes, after which the show's producer set up recording equipment in Mel Blank's hospital room. Oh, that's nice. And later at his home to allow him to work from there. That's loyalty. Like how many people in studios do you know that are loyal? I mean, that's really interesting there. It says some of the recordings were made while he was in full body cast as he lay flat on his back with the other Flintstones co-stars gathered around him. He returned to the Jack Benny program to film the program's 1961 Christmas show, moving around by crutches and a wheelchair.
1: It
0: says here on January 29, 1962, Mel Blank and his son Noel formed the Blank Communications Corporation, a media company which produced over 5,000 commercials and public service announcements, which remains in operation. Uh, Mel Blank and his son appeared with many stars, including Kirk Douglas, Lucille Ball, Vincent Price, Phyllis Diller. I have no idea who that is. uh, Liberace and the who. So who is Phyllis Diller? Who is that? Oh, okay. She was an American stand-up comedian, actress, author, musician, and visual artist, best known for her eccentric stage persona. and Wow, her wild hair and wild clothes. Wow, okay, now I have, a, I have an idea of who she is. Um, in the 1970s, Mel Blanc gave a series of college lectures across the United States and appeared in commercials for American Express. Uh, Mel Blanc's production company, uh, Blank Communications Corporation, Collaborate on a special with the Boston-based Shriners Burns Institute called uh, "Ounce of Prevention," which became a 30-minute TV special. Uh, Throughout the late 1970s and 1980s, Mel Blanc performed as Looney Tunes characters for bridging sequences in various compilation films of Golden Age-era Warner Brothers cartoons, such as the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie, the Looney says the Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie. And then the next one is Bugs Bunny, a third movie, 1001 Rabbit Tales. Then Daffy Duck's Fantastic Island and Daffy Duck's uh, Quack Busters. (laughs) That's cute. His final performance of his Looney Tunes roles was in Bugs Bunny's Wild Wild World of Sports, and that came out in 1989. After spending most of two seasons voicing, um, I guess, the... I guess, a robot tweaky in Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Uh, Mel Blanc's last original character was Heathcliff from 1980 to 1988. I'm not familiar with that. Let's see here. A little bit about his personal life. It says, Mel Blanc and his wife Estelle were married on January 4th, 1933, and remained married until his death in 1989, their son, Noel Blank, was also a voice actor. Uh, Mel Blank was a Freemason. Oh, I'm not surprised now because of the Shriners. Uh, was a Freemason as a member of Midday Lodge Number no. 188 in Portland, Oregon. He held membership at the Lodge for 58 years. Uh, Blank was also a Shriner. I'm not surprised by that. Let's see here. Oh, wow, this is interesting. So Shriners International, this is new, Formerly known as the Ancient Arabic Order of the Nobles of the Mystic Shrine, is uh, an American messianic society established in 1870 and is headquartered in Tampa, Florida. I was not aware of all that background, but I do know it's pagan. So it's just kind of like not a good thing to be a part of. (laughs) Um, But a little bit about a little bit about his death. Sorry, I'm talking too fast. Let me get a drink of water. Hold on just a moment. Okay, so a little bit about his death and his passing. It says Mel Blank began smoking cigarettes when he was nine years old. He continued his pack-a-day habit until age 77. After he was diagnosed with COPD, which is very horrible to pass away from. That um, I actually knew a lady that passed away from that, and um, her daughter told us at the told us at the funeral that it was very scary. Her mother was terrified because she was gasping for air, and so they basically had to. Put her on morphine and just kind of lull her to sleep so she could just pass away peacefully because she was um, slowly suffocating and so that's really sad. So just if you're smoking, stop smoking. It's not a good thing. On May 19, 1989, his family checked him into Cedar Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles when they noticed he had a bad cough while shooting a commercial. He was originally expected to recover. But when his health worsened, doctors discovered he had advanced coronary artery disease. Also, he fell out of bed and broke his femur. Um, after nearly two months in the hospital, Mel Blank died at 2.30 p.m. on July 10, 1989, at Cedar sinai uh, as a result of complications from both illnesses. He was 81 years old. Um, he is interred at Hollywood Forever Cemetery, Section 13. It says he... His will specified that his gravestone read, That's All Folks. Um, very interesting there. So, a little bit about some of his, his legacy. First of all, it's his voice. Um, and then, secondly, his, his death was considered a significant loss. It says it was considered a significant loss to the cartoon industry because of his skill, uh, expressive range, and the sheer number of the continuing uh, characters he portrayed. Whose roles were subsequently assumed by several other voice talents. Um, it's just always sad when someone this talented dies because they contributed so much to society. Like, I have a DVD of a couple different Looney Tunes. Like, I have a, a DVD of, what's it called? Pepe Le Pew. Oh my goodness. Most of those episodes just have me busting out laughing. Like, I just rewatched it, like, a few weeks ago. I'm sure my neighbors were like, what is she laughing about? Um, Just hilarious. Pepe Le Pew, oh my goodness. And then I found out, I think it was earlier this year, I found out that the feminist movement has targeted Pepe Le Pew, and they started targeting him years ago when a a stupid chick wrote an essay. Um, She's a feminist. She's studying, I guess she was studying women's studies or something. And so she decided to pick on Pepe Le Pew and said that um, he makes it supposedly seem like rape is okay and it's not. But that's not what Pepe Le Pew did at all. Like Pepe Le Pew was making fun of French people. He was making fun of Frenchmen. And Frenchmen are exactly like Pepe Le Pew. They're not rapists. They're, they're just very, extremely romantic. And it, it takes a lot to get them to understand you're not interested. <laughs> I know this because I've dated a Frenchman. <laughs> and so it's just kind of like, my goodness. But the French, they are very unique. They are very romantic, especially the men. Oh, my goodness, very romantic. Even if they're not extremely good looking, they can be very romantic. And it's just, it's just part of their culture. So Pepe Le Pew... Was not saying or giving men permission to do whatever they want to women. It was, it was making fun of the French culture. I mean, just think about, um, Daffy Duck. That makes fun of people that have a lisp. Think about Foghorn Leghorn. That character makes fun of loud, bombastic guys that are just, Unbelievably stupid, but they're hilariously funny because they're so loud and obnoxious, you know, and it's just, oh, you know, what's funny is that um, there is this one guy, I can't remember what his name was, but I read this article where there is this guy that worked with Mel Blanc at Warner Brothers, and one day he was asking Mel Blanc, hey, who's your inspiration? It was either for Daffy Duck or Sylvester, and everybody just turned and looked at the guy like you got to be kidding me. And you know Mel Blanc, he didn't tell the guy who his inspiration was, but this guy was Mel Blanc's inspiration for either Daffy Duck or Sylvester. And yet he's talking to Mel Blanc and he doesn't realize that these cartoons are making fun of this, this guy like how he talks and it's hilarious. Like, some people are just so delusional. Like, it, it's just like the French sometimes. Like, these French guys. Extremely romantic. And here's the thing. You know, if the guy I dated had not been socialist and if he had been super hot, oh man, we totally would have gotten married. Totally gotten married. But, you know, French people, they tend to be very socialist. And so they're anti-America. They're anti-capitalism. But yet they want money and they want your money. They want to tax it. And they just, don't always have the right work ethic, and that that tends to be a problem. Um, But anyway, just so you know, Pepe Le Pew, they, they had to, you know, sadly Warner Brothers gave in to the stupid feminist movement that is like on steroids these days, and they redid Pepe Le Pew. And he's, instead of being his usual romantic cavalier self kind of thing, He just looks like some stupid punk that's like 20 years old, and he looks all hip and everything. It's like, that is not Pepe Le Pew. And also, those cartoons are pretty much completely computer animated. Like, they're not drawn by people. You know, the the original Looney Tunes, people had to physically draw those. It was very labor intensive. So cartoons these days they're not even as hard to make as they used to be. I mean, take Family Guy, for example. Like Family Guy, I don't think Seth MacFarlane has drawn those for a long time. He's had animators that he's hired, like to train and things like that, to give people a chance, you know, basically in the industry, which is awesome. That's basically a really good thing to do to be a mentor. But I read somewhere that Family Guy, they went completely computer animated. And you can tell if you compare like a current episode to like, You know, one of the first three seasons or something, it's completely different. So not a family guy or American dad are hand-drawn anymore. They're actually drawn by people in another country. I think it's, is it Vietnam or South Korea? Like they have a company out there, or they hire this company to do all their animation work. And then Seth MacFarlane and all the other people that do the voiceovers, you know, they just basically do the voiceovers. They don't do any of the animation whatsoever, none of it. So it's kind of like, okay, um, that's taking away jobs from people that actually live here in the United States. So I'm not a fan of that. That concerns me. But but also, um, I would say, but also that's kind of the norm right now in Hollywood. It's kind of like, what what can we do to cheat people out of money, make it so they don't have a job, and but yet have the network make a whole bunch of money but not pay out wages to people? You know That is a big problem. If you're not going to pay wages to people, then, um, then you can't really honestly employ them. It's really weird. So, needs to say, that's one of the reasons why there are these strikes taking place out in California. It's because of this type of behavior, but here's the thing. This type of behavior is nothing new. The studio, time and time again, tried to cheat Mel Blanc out of his pay all the time and his credits, and the studio also did this to animators. Like, there was one animator I looked up. He's one of the animators for the original Looney Tunes, like Pepe Le Pew and some of these others that are really cute. Man, these animators, they had to, they had to fight tooth and nail to get paid. And many of them formed a union. And there were some of them, some of the animators for Looney Tunes and Warner Brothers, they walked out and said, we're not going to draw for you. And then the the studio, Warner Brothers, you know, said, hey, come back, we'll pay you. But then they're like, well, you're not paying us what we want. And so the studio got mad at them and locked them out. So then these animators for Looney Tunes did not have a job. Even though they were guaranteed employment, they didn't have pay. Because the studio locked them out and said, hey, you either do what we want or you're not going to get anything. And so the animators, they unionized, and they fought against the studio. And this is back in the 1930s and 40s or something. I mean, this goes back a long ways, folks. Like, this is, this is nothing new, and it's sad. Like, I'm just surprised that Hollywood would do that to people, because Hollywood is supposed to, it, you know, it's always been this place where, basically, people that can't find a normal job can find a job out there doing what they really want to do. You know what I mean? It's always been the place of, like, where hopes and dreams can come true. It's almost like the Cinderella story, right? Well, unfortunately, sometimes you get these higher-up executives within these companies and these studios that they don't want to do what's right. It's like, wow, what else is new with this? It's very shocking. It's disturbing. I'm not a fan of it. It's just, you know, that's not capitalism. If you're locking your employees out and you're telling them, hey, I'm not going to pay you unless you do what I want, woo, that is not capitalism, that's technically demonic. Like, that is so unbelievably evil. Like, it's evil, Knievel, you know, whatever word you want to use. Like, it's really terrible. So, needless to say, you know, I wanted to mention or, or devote a whole episode to Mel Blank because he was a trooper. He was a very talented man, but he also did not back down from the studio. He didn't back down from anyone. And I think that is a true testament to his courage and his character. Because it seems to me like, you know, these people that the studios were trying to stiff them out of their pay, um, I think Mel Blanc and others like him, they were the ones that had real character. They were the ones that had a true work ethic. These studio executives, they weren't cheating their producers or their directors out of money. They were doing it to the people that they thought were at the bottom of the totem pole. What's interesting is that's very similar to how writers are being treated right now out in Los Angeles and New York. You know, the whole writer's strike, they have a point. It's like if you don't have writers, you don't have a story. You don't have a series. You don't have a movie. You have nothing. I mean, you would think that the studio would be for supporting people and paying people appropriate wages instead of trying to cheat them all the time. So needless to say, I'm not always a fan of strikes, but the ones that have been taking place recently, I am a fan of it. I agree with it. Because, you know, if it was me and someone was stealing my pay and my money and not giving me credit for my work, I mean, I would sue them. I would get an attorney. I would sue. I'd be like, you can't use my work like that. And I'm not going to sign a contract that totally undercuts me and my livelihood. I don't even think so. So, needless to say, it's very important to recognize that your labor has value. It doesn't matter whether you are a janitor, or if you are a voiceover actor, or if you are an animator, or a producer, or a director, or a scriptwriter, an editor, you know, whatever the case may be, or maybe, a, what's it called, a, a, not a movie grip, what's it called? Oh, what am I thinking of? There are these couple of different job titles and, and um, at the end of the credits of a movie that I'm like what does a, a grip do or a gopher do or you know, they have these words I don't know what it means. Well those people get you know, they deserve to get paid too if they did the work. I mean it's just it's just kinda of ridiculous what some of these companies do and then they act like, oh, we're the victim. It's like no, if you're the one that is oppressing other people, you are the oppressor. So just FYI, if you know anyone that's going through a tough time, especially like getting cheated out of pay or maybe they are in a union and they're not happy, have them listen to this episode because they need to hear about Mel Blank. They need to hear about him and what all he went through. Because just think about his career, and I'll close with this, his career spanned like six decades. So that is like a little over 60 years of having to put up with studios that constantly do everything they can to undercut you and steal your pay. Can you imagine having to deal with that for 60 years, and yet he still had a smile on his face, he enjoyed his work, but he did not back down? I mean, I think that's a great example, especially to young people right now, because there are so many young people that – they don't want to work, but yet they, they want to have a house. They, they, they want to have stuff. And it's like, well, you know, unless you're a trust fund baby, or unless you win the lottery, you have to work. So find something that you like or love or enjoy and get out there, live your life, do your best, and, I mean, just go for it. You know, there's pie in the sky. But if you never look up and you never try, That's your fault for missing the pie. It's not everybody else's fault. Not trying to be harsh, just saying it like it is. Because there's some people, they they think that just by whining and complaining on TikTok that that that's a form of labor. It's not. It's not. I mean, it's just... I wish more people realize they have God-given talent and don't ever throw that away, ever. Because the moment you throw it away... That's the moment you've thrown in the towel. So don't do that. Don't ever throw in the towel. Get back in there. Do your best. Enjoy your life. But I will go ahead and in this podcast, but as usual until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless and bye-bye.
1: Waves transform